Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, we're going to dive into the Word and uh, thank you for that very uh, special welcome and for the birthday cake and all of those things. It's, uh, it's so, so good to be back with you. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Dave um, and I'm part of the Hills Baptist team and I have the privilege of sort of overseeing what God is doing, well, underseeing, I suppose, what God is doing in, uh, across all the different campuses and preaching across and God's doing a really special work. It's such a, a joy to be a part of what he is doing. And it's so great. I've been eager to come back to Lobethal. So it's such a joy to be here with you all. We are in the book of Acts. Who's enjoying the book of Acts? As we're studying the early church, studying what God is doing. The, the mantra has been that the book of Acts is a story. If, if it's one cohesive story with the book of Luke and Luke it was about all that Jesus began to do and teach The book of Acts is all that Jesus continued to do and teach by the Spirit through the apostles. That's what the book of Acts is all about. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. He is a person, part of the triune Godhead. He is not an it. He is not a force. Don't ever call the Holy Spirit it or I will spiritually come across and slap you on the cheek. He is a person and his goal and his, his purpose and great delight is to exalt Christ. He, is, he has come, Christ has sent, the Father has sent the Holy Spirit so that the name of Jesus would be lifted up so that we, the followers of Jesus, would be taught and trained in everything Jesus spoke and that we would be empowered to go into the world and proclaim that message. This is what we've been hearing, that the Spirit is with us as the agent of salvation. He is in us as the assurance of salvation and He comes upon us for the empowerment of the proclamation of salvation. And this is the message that we have seen over and over and over again in the book of Acts. And today we come to Acts chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, open it up and we're going to we'll start reading in verse 1 and then we're going to go on a journey together today. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it, get ready to underline, that Satan has so filled your heart. Underline, circle, highlight, get ready to make a note. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried it out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? 
Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Just a light, easy text for us to get our teeth into this morning. Who's keen? Who's keen? Come on, Lobethal, you know you have to interact with me. You know that. That's what we're going to do. Let's pray. Lord, we need your wisdom. We thank you that uh, all of Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, uh, instructing and training in righteousness. Thank you that Scripture is also for rebuking. And sometimes we want the, we want the inspiration and we want the amens And sometimes we don't like the rebuke. But I pray today that you would give us soft hearts, ready to hear. And Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what it is that you are saying to the churches through your word. And Lord, would you fill our hearts with a deep, deep revelation of the wonder of your grace. That we would leave here with great reverence great power and great grace, we ask in your holy name. And all God's children said, amen. So today, uh, those of you who know me know that normally with a sermon, what I like to do is I like to wrap it up in a nice little parcel. And I like to give us, use alliteration and give us our three Ps or our four S's or whatever it is. And we like to sort of just make it neat and easy to remember. Today is going to be a bit different. Today, I want to invite you into a thought train. I want you just to, I want to invite you to come sit with me at my desk as I'm sitting with the Lord, just working stuff through. Is that all right? So today's one of those days where I want you to come on board. Maybe if you're a note taker, get your notes out and just join the journey with me. And what my hope and prayer is, is that today is not a full stop, but a conversation starter. Because when you examine this text and as you look at it and you could read a thousand different commentaries, if you read a thousand commentaries, you'd have 500 commentaries saying something about it on that side. You'd have 500 commentaries saying something about it on this side. And so there's a whole lot of debate when it comes to this particular text in the scholarly world, right? And so this is one of those texts that we could think this, we could think this, we can think a whole heap of different things. But what I want us to do today is come on board and sit down and really dive deep. Who feels like diving deep on a Sunday morning here at Lobethal? And I want to invite you into the thought train that that I've been on as I've been journeying with this and just sitting with the Lord. And um, I think it's such an incredible text, but context is everything, you know? Context is everything. And when we look at a text and we read it, we must look at what comes before it. We must look at where it sits. We've got to jump in. We can't just look at it from afar. We've got to dive in. We've got to look around the corner. We've got to be like, what's happening over there? What's happening over here? And that will help shape us and bring clarity to what it is that God is actually saying. And this text poses some questions, right? 
And those parents in the room, I don't know if your children are anything like mine, but my youngest son particularly loves to ask ridiculous questions. Anyone? We're watching Survivor the other night, and Benji gets up out of bed, walks out into the room. He's standing. We didn't realise he'd got up out of bed. He's standing behind us as we're watching Tribal Council. Who watches Survivor? Anyone? No, I'm not going to tell you what happened. I'm behind too. Yeah, okay. Anyway, so here's the question he asks. He says to me, he goes, what happens if they don't vote? I'm like, well, they, they can't. Like, it's just, it's the game. You vote. He goes, yeah, but what if they don't? I'm like, well, it won't, it won't happen. He goes, yeah, but what if it did? <laughs> well, it won't happen, Benji. He goes, but it might. What if they didn't? And then at that point, you've got one or two options. Either you, either you dive down the rabbit hole and you keep going with the why, 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 and you end up saying, because God made everything. <laughs> Anyone been there where you just get, or, or you say, because humans are sinful. Or you go, do you want ice cream? And they're like, yeah. So you can either go real deep or you can go distraction. Yeah? And there's a lot of questions in life where distraction is enough. There's a lot of questions you're like, that doesn't need an answer. I'm just going to go down the distraction path and talk about something else and hope we never get to that question again. Then there are things where distraction won't do. This text poses questions where distractions will not do, where we must dive deep and we must seek answers and we must seek those answers deeply. Are you with me? And so that's what I wanna do today. What is it that God is saying? Two questions I wanna address. Firstly, the first question is, what the heck? (laughs) What is this all about? What is God saying? And the second question is, well, what does it mean for us today in Lobethal as we seek to try and live out the gospel? What's going on? What does it mean for us And in order for us to understand what's going on, we've got to go back. So come back with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Let's remind ourselves of the context. So Jesus has stood before the disciples and he has said, go and make disciples. Go and proclaim the gospel of grace. But first, what do we do? Wait, interaction church, go but wait, go but wait. So they wait, they don't know how long they have to wait, they just know that they wait. Then on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes and I don't know if you guys heard me preach this over at Verdun, but we talked about how Christ is fulfilling the Jewish festivals and on the day of Pentecost, which was the day where the law was given, they celebrated the law coming on Mount Sinai, which ultimately led to 3,000 people being killed. God's rewriting that on the day of Pentecost where ultimately the Spirit comes, the, the new Spirit, and, and it says that about 3,000 people were saved. So there's this incredible moment where Jesus is basically saying, I am the fulfilment of the law. I am the fulfilment of all that the Jews were celebrating. And the spirit now is the way that we will live. No longer the law. The law was powerless. It was good, but it was powerless because of sinful flesh. But God's done it in Christ and through the sending of his spirit, Romans 8. And so we see this incredible picture of what God has done at Pentecost in sending the spirit 
to the church to now begin to live out the reality of what they were created for in the Garden of Eden, that God would dwell with human beings and we would be presence bearers, that we would be be walking with him in this kingdom that is now and not yet and the final day will come when he'll come back and make all things right again. So we see that this is what's happening and the result of that is remarkable. You get to the end of Acts chapter two and it says that they were all together with one accord and they were living in this ridiculous, like crazy radical relationship with one another where they're they're selling stuff and just sharing it and no one was in need and there was this love and the Bible tells us that they'll know we're Christians by our Love, like they genuinely loved one another. They were a genuine family and it was incredible. And it says people were being saved daily as they were looking upon what God was doing and just marveling at it. And then in Acts 3, something happens. Persecution. The first time we see that persecution starts to hit the church. And what happens in that space is that Peter and John choose not to bow because they have a boldness that comes from the Spirit. Ordinary, unschooled men. And they say, who are you (laughs) to tell us that we can't proclaim the Word of God? We're gonna be obedient to God, not you. And they boldly declare the Gospel. And then Acts 4 finishes with this. Are you with me? After they released and they prayed in the Spirit and they prayed for boldness, and then it reminds us again. So we've got outpouring of Spirit, we've got persecution, we see boldness in the Spirit, and then verse 32 again reminds us of what was happening at the end of chapter 2. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's, the ESV says, great grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Ridiculous, radical relationships, amen? Ridiculous, like what a picture of the church filled with the Spirit. That this is a, this is a, picture of what the church should be when it's living out the gospel as God has called it to be, as God has created that way. And then we see a fascinating little moment. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite, everyone say Levite, say it louder, Levite, from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, if you're a Bible reader in the place, astute Bible readers, something just would have pricked and grabbed your attention. You in that moment would have been like, hang on. Barnabas was a Levite. 
Why did he have a field to sell? That's right, astute Bible readers. That's an excellent question. Why did he have a field to sell? Because the Bible tells us all through the Old Testament that Levites were not permitted to own land, but a Levite's inheritance was the, the presence of God. They were, the, they were the people who were to look after the tabernacle and they did not own land. Who's going, ah. So how can a son of encouragement, someone who the apostles looked up to, how could he have owned land to sell What is going on here? And I started thinking about this. I'm like, why does the Bible specify that he is a Levite? Like, why the detail? We've got to remember that nothing in the Word is ever wasted. That every detail is in there for a reason. And then I started thinking about the context that the Spirit has come, that we might know Christ, that we might genuinely have an encounter with the beautiful gospel and cause people to come to repentance. Like that's what the Spirit is doing. It's not about the works. It's not about the wonders. The, cause, the, the information that Luke is giving us in Acts is that we would know that the Holy Spirit has come to draw us to Christ, to, to die to self, to repent, to lay down our lives and say, wow, look what He's done for me. That's who the Holy, that's the, the Holy Spirit's purpose and function. And that's what we've seen in the book of Acts. And so what I realise and what I think as I analyse this is that Barnabas's gift is less about the generosity and actually this is more about a spirit of repentance. That the Holy Spirit has so grabbed Barnabas's heart that he has realised, I am not doing and living the way that God has called me to live. And so this needs to go. And that his gift is an act of repentance. His gift is, I am bringing my life as a living sacrifice. And a part of that is this whole thing. And I'm going to lay it at your feet, Christ, as a sign that you've got me. All in all. that I want to follow you with my whole heart. Have you ever met someone whose life has been radically transformed? Anyone in here? Have you met a new, someone who's a new convert to faith? Have you led someone to the Lord? Come on, Lobethal. When, when you see someone, when you have the privilege of journeying with someone as they come to faith, what does it do to your own faith? What does it do? It's so encouraging. It stirs your faith. It leads like, you're like, oh, like they start charging. They're like, oh, I talked to this person. I went to the shops the other day and I just shared the gospel with a lady as we were getting peas out of the freezer because, you know, and you're just like, oh, I'm so encouraged and inspired by this. And so it's, it's not about the gift. The reason the apostles called him the son of encouragement is because it was about the transformation of his life. That they're like, there's something in Barnabas. Oh, it's so stirred up that this man has so encountered the gospel that his world has been radically transformed. And with that as the background, with that as our context, all of a sudden, number five, chapter five, starts to make a little bit more sense. Because what we've seen is so-and-so filled with the Spirit, repentance. So-and-so filled with the Spirit, repentance, transformation. The people filled with the Spirit, 
repentance, transformation. Now, a man named Ananias, ESV starts that with a but. Which is important because language is everything. It's talking about this is what the gospel, this is what the spirit-filled life looks like, but. But in those days, but in that time, there was a man named Ananias. That's setting the scene for something, church. Who's enjoying the thought train so far? Who's with me? But there was a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, who also sold a piece of property. Now, they're not Levites because later on we find out that it was theirs to sell. They were allowed, the money was theirs, it was all good. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it, this is the first time we see this, that Satan has so, what? Filled. What have we seen before? That it was the Spirit who filled, causing people to repent, and come to Christ. Church, a Christian cannot be filled with Satan. Do you hear me? Someone who follows Christ, this is what we've seen. The Spirit is with us as the agent of salvation, is in us as the assurance of salvation. No one can confess Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You cannot have Satan and the Spirit dwelling in one heart. You can have a spirit-filled Christian receiving oppression where the enemy can attack and can, can sit on the shoulder and whisper and torment and those things, but you cannot be filled with the Satan and filled with the Spirit. You cannot, it, it cannot be the case, which means something about Ananias. And here's my thesis. He's not a Christian. Don't shoot me. I don't think Ananias and Sapphira are Christians. I think Ananias and Sapphira are wolves because their hearts were filled with Satan. <laughs> their hearts were filled with Satan. What is Satan? Satan is the deceiver. What do we know about the church? The church is on fire. The Spirit of God has come, has birthed the church and radical things are happening and people are being saved daily. The world is being turned on its head. What do you think, how do you think Satan feels about that? Yeah, no worries, guys. I'm just gonna chill out over here. How do you think Satan feels about this? Satan is real, by the way. If you don't believe that, let's have a conversation. But let's just make that very clear, that the devil is a, a real being. How do you think he feels about that? He's ticked off, almost said a different word. Where is he going to focus his attention? The church. We need to understand that the church has an enemy. We talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil are the enemies, the adversaries of the church. We've seen in chapter three, the world coming against the church. And that we've seen that under the power of the Spirit, the church has stood firm and in so doing, seen great power, as it says at the end of four, and great grace. 
where people are being changed and radical transformation. Now we're seeing the devil. And you've got to understand, church, that the devil doesn't attack the church from the outside. He doesn't come in there with his, you know, with his cloak and his horns and his pitchfork and being like, you know, I've got the princess bride in my head where he's like, oh, no, you know. That's not what he does. How does the devil try and attack the church? How is the most effective way the devil will attack the church? Division, how? Infiltration. If I had to title this sermon, it would be Satanic Infiltration. That what he does is he comes as an angel of light. What better way to attack the early church and through a man named Ananias who comes with a whole wad of money. That Ananias would walk in and be like, hey guys, and in the flesh, the initial thought we have, and I'm just picturing myself as a pastor, right? Someone comes and sold an entire field of money and we don't know how big the field was, but think about it in today's terms. You're talking millions of dollars. Someone comes and says, Dave, I've just been convicted by the Lord. Here's $2 million. My mind and my flesh goes, praise God. Hallelujah, what a saint. You know, can I be vulnerable for a second? Is that not true of all of us? We're like, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. But exactly, because what's happening here, like it's so easy to think that, that, oh, we've been praying, we've been looking for provision, praise God, he's got it. But because Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, because Peter is in that place with God, the Lord brings immediate discernment and says, no, 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 this is a wolf, this is not a sheep. This is a wolf, this is not a sheep. There is an ulterior motive here. He is lying to you. He is lying to the Spirit. The evidence is that he's actually kept some of the money. The evidence here is that everything he is doing is to try and gain position and try and gain power. And by gaining position and power, then all of a sudden you can start to tear the church apart. Friends, I've been a part of churches where I've seen this in action. When I was a young person, my dad was chair of a council at a church. My dad is a beautiful, godly, humble man. He was a part of a church that in his young adult days was one of the, the largest churches in our state, a thriving young adult youth ministry back when like big churches weren't thousands of people where they owned property. God was doing incredible things and two people got into positions of power and it ended up with legal court cases, with church split with horrific, horrible things. My dad got death threats written to him in the mail and he faithfully served through that whole process. And my mum too, they never told us anything. I remember just thinking, gee, mum and dad are out a lot. <laughs> but they never spoke poorly of the church. But what happened, the fruit, the proof is always in the pudding. Those two people who caused that division, I've got to be careful with how I say this, but let me just say the evidence was that they were filled with Satan. And their lives now, if you look at it, you cannot deny. We're talking about all the stuff that our culture is trying to throw down our throats as 
great. And we've just, Sydney's just celebrated it. One of them has gone down that way. The other one, like Satan had so filled their hearts. And because the leaders in the church did not have discernment and gave them that position of authority, the enemy got a foothold and the church has never been the same. Here's the message for us. That's what I think is going on here. Here's the message for us, and especially for leaders. Our job, our job is to recognise who the sheep are under the discernment of the Spirit and to feed the sheep. Yeah? Feed the sheep. But our job under the discernment of the Spirit is to recognise who the wolves are and to unashamedly, boldly shoot them. And I say that graciously, but what I mean is a a wolf, a wolf, someone whose heart is filled with, I told you I was going to be strong today. There are sheep biblically, there are goats and there are wolves. We feed and love the sheep. We love the goats, we rebuke the goats, we seek to see a goat transformed into a sheep, but a wolf has given their heart to Satan and we are to remove them and to not allow them to have positions of authority. Look at it, it's right here in the Bible. Peter, in having that discernment, calls it out and then God, in his great power, actually, Ananias falls down dead. And we're like, that is so full on. But this is the message of the gospel, that that God will not be mocked. And when people come to steal, kill and destroy, they are coming not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but under the, the inspiration of the enemy. God will not be mocked. And here's the great encouragement to me. It's not Peter who pronounces that. He doesn't curse them or anything. It's God who guards his church. God is the one who does the work. But he trusts Peter with the information that Peter would just say, I'm not taking that gift. And in not taking that gift, God then has the authority to do what he wants to do. And in that wisdom to just say, no, no, there's something going on here and he holds firm. Then Sapphira comes in straight away and he gives her an opportunity to do what? To repent. Because that's what the book of Acts at this point is all about. He gives her, he's like, Where's your heart? It's not about what's in your hands. It's about what's in your heart. He says, where's your heart at? And she shows that her heart is equally filled with Satan. And he just goes, well, I'm assuming because of what just happened to Ananias, it's probably gonna happen to you because God will not be mocked. And then it says, great fear came across the whole church. When God was starting his church, when the church was being birthed, the church needed to know that God will not be mocked and that God gives discernment and God gives wisdom to the church and he wanted to make it very, very clear to the enemy, you have no place here. This is a full-on intense text. But as I close off the thought train for just a minute, there's another thought that's been nagging me and actually deeply encouraging me because Peter, 
sitting there as Ananias comes in. How has Satan so filled your heart? Surely Peter must think back. I, I apologise if I get emotional. It tends to happen a lot lately. Surely Peter must look back and go, wasn't that long ago when my Lord and Saviour was dying on a cross? I was no better than this bloke. And yet I got grace. How come I didn't end up on the floor? How come I had the privilege of sitting on a beach and having him come to me and feed me and take me on a journey of reconciliation? How come I got grace? And that's why I'm so convinced and convicted that what I've been speaking to you is true. Because Peter's heart, even though he sinned, even though he made mistakes, his heart was never filled with Satan. His heart was always for Christ. He's just a normal sheep who makes mistakes. And the encouragement to those of us here whose hearts are for Christ, even in our brokenness, even in our mess, God's grace is sufficient for you. That it's not about what's in your hands. It's not... Just because you make a mistake, just because you get it wrong, just because you stuff up, your lot is not death. Your lot is life because you are hidden with Christ on high. And so Peter is able to stand here and recognise the difference between a heart that's after Christ and a heart that's given over to destruction. And he's able to go, This I know this is what you're on because that's the lot. And if someone is here today and your heart is for Christ, mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And you have great assurance and great hope and great grace and great power to pick up your cross and follow Him to live out in repentance to say, thank you, Lord, that my lot will not be unto the grave, but my lot will be unto eternal life because I'm in Him, because he's, I'm a sheep and He's my shepherd. And He says He'll lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. Through it. Yeah? He's like those guys on the bear hunt. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Can't go around it. We're going to go through it. Christ will take us through the valley to the green pastures, to the table in the presence of our enemies because He is enough. And because He said it is finished and it is. So don't give your heart to the devil. Give it to Christ. Repent. And know that your lot is eternal life. But if you are here to steal, kill, or destroy, repent right now. I'm not saying that I think anyone is in here, but I'm just saying it because I felt on my spirit that I had to say it. If you are here with malicious intent, repent right now. Right now. Turn from that 
and give your life to Christ because the lot of the devil is death and he knows it. But the lot of Christ is life. Choose life that you might live. I think that's what this passage is about. And I really look forward to hearing all the conversations that will come from this. And I really look forward to small group conversations as we wrestle with it. Like I said, I didn't want to tie this sermon up in a nice little bow. What I wanted to do is bring you into a thought and a conviction that God's dropped upon my heart. And I want to finish. Um, Bree, can you come up and just play nicely for us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. It's not doom and gloom. It's not doom and gloom. If you're a sheep. If you're a sheep, it's grace, mercy and love. It's great power and great grace. And yes, there's great holy fear, but that is not that, is not that we don't approach God's presence for fear. That's the fear of a child with their father that knows, gee, dad's got a, a lot of power, but he loves me. He loves me. And therefore, I need not hide. But I'm going to Him in my mess, in my brokenness. I go straight to Dad because that's the spirit He's given me that cries out, Abba, Father. What a beautiful spirit. Abba, Father, that I can sit with Him and I bring Him no matter what it is. And that doesn't mean there's not consequences, but it does mean that there's mercy in our time of need. And I want to finish with this. John Piper, of all people, wrote a spoken word about Ananias and Sapphira. Now, this would be so much better if it was someone else doing this who had a gift in spoken word, right? But I'm going to read this poem to you. And I want you, like, just close your eyes where you are and just let this sit upon you. This is Piper writing from Peter's perspective about the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing. Listen to this. There in a lonely field unsold, the graves were only hours old, where Ananias and his wife lay dead because the breath of life once freely given by their God as freely ceased and thus the rod of wrath and justice fell upon their sad deceit. The light of dawn had not yet lit the dismal field, nor any crowing cock revealed the imminence of day beside the simple graves where he had cried. Hmm. Through half the night, there on a stone sat Peter staring numb alone. All night the scene ran through his head again and then again, the dread look on his face, an awful sound as Ananias hit the ground. Ah. Oh. And died at once because he lied to man and God for what? Some pride, some suicidal passion for a little cash, a little more to spend on what now? From the grave, oh Ananias, why? Why crave what you were already owned? All night the scene filled Peter's mind and fight against that as he might, he came again. We sold a field and claim now in the presence of our Christ, this is the sum now sacrificed for love of Jesus and the poor. Take this, we pray, and make it cure some sickness of the flesh or soul. 
But even while he spoke, the whole deceit was open to the mind of Peter by the Lord. I find your liberality smells more of hell than our sweet Christ. Before you sold this field, was it not yours? And afterward the same. How lures this money then your soul to lie to man and God? What will you buy with money you have got by such a foolish scheme? However much in all the world will it recoup the cost of making God a dupe? Before he could say any more, the man collapsed and on the floor, the cunning seller of his land was dead, his money in his hand. And Peter stood as speechless as a corpse before the God who has the right to give and take the breath of life and set the time for death. This was not his design, nor did he know that God so swift would rid the church of such a sin. And while he trembled there with brazen gulls, Sapphira, Ananias' wife appeared and Peter thought, this life as well, O Lord, will you require? She smiled and said, it's my desire. Just like my husband's that the sum which by the grace of God has come into the hands of selling one, of our large fields be given and none of it be kept for us. Praise be to God who is for us the key to wealth and happiness. The look on Peter's face perplexed and shook Sapphira for an instant. Then she smiled as Peter asked, and when you sold it, was it for this price that you bring here? She said, precise. And to the penny, like our love for Christ. And what we're dreaming of is you take this and bless the poor. We trust you, Peter, it is sure. A man of God does not deceive. She wondered at his tears, I grieve. He said to ask why this accord to test the spirit of the Lord between you and your husband when the world would have been yours. Or can you buy eternal life unpriced when you have made a fool of Christ? The feet of those who buried your accomplice come and it is sure as you were one in lying breath, God says you will be one in death. One mercy now remains. How brief today your widowhood and grief. All through the night, again and then again, he cringed and saw the men first carry Ananias to the grave and then Sapphira through the fading light of day like two limp flowers cut from where they grew and tossed away. But then as day began to break and night gave way to early morning grey, a sound pierced Peter's mind and turned around the way he saw the world. A bird, a crowing cock. And when, the herd, when he heard the voice of his old friend, the night came back to him when he, in spite of all his boasts, fell like a leaf before a breeze. And his belief denied, I do not know the man. He said, oh yes, you're from his clan. The servants of the priest declared, we've seen you with him. You're just scared. To tell the truth, I do not know the man. He said, again, you show that you're from Galilee by how you speak. And so he took a vow and with a curse said one more time, I do not know this man. The crime that he committed in those lies now rose before his weary eyes, a thousand times more heinous than Sapphira's lies or of the man who put her to it. Peter sat there trembling, weak and stunned, now at the difference. Lord, why, he cried, my sin is worse. Three times I lied while you were suffering for me. I do not know why this should be, that they should die and I should live, or how your wrath and mercy give. You lifted up his hand and said, oh Lord, why did I not drop dead? And then the Lord replied, 
It is true, my friend. Your sin was worse and you deserve the countenance of wrath far more than these two here. Your path led straight to hell. And if I would have let you go, no power could have kept you from the flames. I did not owe you this, nor is it hid from open sight that you, my friend, are saved by grace. And in the end, are chosen by good or evil deeds that would or could be made the root of my decrees in heaven and on earth. I please the counsel of my wisdom first. For centuries my name has burst the chains laid on my will by man when he presumes to shape my plan around his self-defining will, a futile thing for I fulfill the purposes I formed before the world was made. Do not make war against my freedom, Peter. All that I have ever done to call and carry you is free. Receive this gift and tremble as you grieve beside these graves. If it were not for grace, this would have been your lot. They fell before your feet depraved that you might know how you were saved. Then speechless Peter rose and set his face to follow Christ and let each breath and trace of faith display the way that sovereign grace holds sway. Now as we light candle too, may Christ illuminate to me and you to see that we deserve no good from Him and sovereign justice would be served if all of us fell dead at Jesus' feet. But if instead we live and stand before His throne, let thanks be given for grace alone. And let the one who doubts say this, it is my everlasting bliss to know that God elects not by our works, but by His decree. And I dare not use my iniquity to prove that He rejected me. O precious promise, sweet command, trust Christ alone and you will stand. Amen. Stand to our feet. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.